in Hebrews chapter 4. Well, back up to chapter 3. Let's read down into this. In Hebrews chapter 3, start at verse 7. We'll read several verses here. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, what rebellion is he talking about? He's talking about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt in the wilderness and God calling them into the promised land. He said, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry. Other translations say I was grieved. I was grieved with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. They have no revelation of me. And that would be angering. That would be grieving, wouldn't it? To show yourself, to demonstrate yourself so big, so bold, so strong for these people. To, to send in a savior and a deliverer when they were in bondage in Egypt. Now you remember those, that last generation in Egypt. What were they doing? Man, they were making bricks. They were literally, physically heavy, burdened. You go back and look at the book of Exodus. Before that, these people were thriving. They were prospering. They were growing to the point where Pharaoh was afraid of them. We don't hear that talked about a whole lot. But this nation of, I don't know, a million plus Hebrew children who are living in a land that's not their own, the leader of that nation was afraid of these people. The Bible says they were growing more and mightier. And Pharaoh called together his crew and he's like, look, we got to do something. We got to come up with a plan because what if our enemies attack us and these Hebrew people decide to join our enemies? He's terrified of them. He is terrified of these people that are prospering and thriving in a land which, be honest, they had no business prospering in. And yet the blessing of the Lord on them was causing them to increase. They were becoming more and mightier. So he comes up with this plan. And the plan is to set taskmasters over them and to turn these people into slaves, into servants, into their workforce, and to make them the ones responsible for building these cities, Pharaoh's supply cities. And so this is his big plan that he's come, with, come up with, to burden them with the task of building but if you read Exodus closely, it didn't work. The Bible says they just kept growing. They just kept thriving. Even, even while Pharaoh's trying to physically burden them, he's putting a physical tax on them, and it's not doing what he's wanting it to do. So he comes up with phase two of the plan. And he says, now we're going to make them serve, and this is the word the Bible uses in the book of Exodus, with rigor. R-I-G-O-R, with rigor. If you look that word up, it's a word that means to, to make them work, to make them labor with the effort to break them. With the effort to break them down physically to where they can't do it anymore. To so break these people. And in the midst of that plan to make them serve with rigor, he comes up with another part of the plan. And this part worked. You know what his plan was? He said all the babies 
All the babies that are born, kill them. And he commanded the Hebrew midwives, when you go to deliver a child, if it's a baby, baby boy, throw it in the river. Kill it. Now that just shows you how long ago this was, right? That just shows you what a barbaric time this was in ancient, ancient history. And how uncivilized these people were that the government would condone and support the killing of babies. Right? I mean, that was so long ago. Unimaginable now, right? Thank God for what he's doing in our nation. Thank God. Because it was this move that Pharaoh made that broke these people. It was not the physical unrest that broke them. He broke them on the inside. I'm telling you, it's the same spirit that drove it then that's driving it now. It's the effort to break the soul of a nation. And it broke these people. And you can imagine why it would. To hear the screaming and the crying through the streets. To see their loved ones, their little ones ripped from their arms. It broke them, and that's when they cried out to God. That's when he heard their voice. That's when he called Moses, and he, he, he introduced himself to this man in that burning bush, and he said, I got an assignment for you. You go get them, and you get them out of there. Why? My people have lost their rest. They're not at rest. Not at rest on the inside, not at rest physically. You go get them, you go get them out of there, and you go tell them, I've got a land for them. You go tell them, I've got a place for them that I'm going to bring them to. But notice this. God brings them out, right? He introduces himself to them in this big way, plague after plague after plague. And with every plague, it's destroying Egypt. But right on the other side of that coin, it's saying to the Hebrew people, I'm your God and I love you. And I'm bringing you out of this place. I'm going to bring you out so that I might bring you in to this promised land, this land that flows with milk and honey. I'm going to bring you into this because I love you. This is him introducing himself to them. They don't know him, but this is his way of saying, hey, I'm your God. How are you? Nice to meet you. He brings them out with a mighty hand, an outstretched hand. They step up to that Red Sea. And of course, you know the story. They stand there and They've got the Red Sea in front of them and, and Pharaoh's army breathing down their neck and it looks like, man, we die if we go that way. We die if we go this way. They start screaming. They start crying. Man, what are we doing here? We should have stayed in Egypt. But you know what Moses said to him? You can read this in the scripture. He said, be still. And the Amplified says, hold your peace and remain at rest for the Lord will fight for you. Be still. Hold your peace. Remain at rest. God's going to introduce himself. God's going to show up on the scene and do what only he can do while you rest. Splits that sea in two. They go walking across on dry land. Pharaoh's army tries to do the same thing. God removes the barriers from the waters. Pharaoh's army drowns in that sea. He brings them into the desert. He feeds them miraculously, clothes them miraculously, gives them water miraculously. 
brings them right up to the edge of the promised land. And they send out spies to go into, we'll look at this in the weeks to come. But Moses sends out spies. They come back and say, oh yeah, it's great. Yes, beautiful. Flows with milk and honey. Look, grapes the size of your head. But we can't go in there. What do you mean we can't go in there? There's giants there. The walls are tall. So, you know, can't go in. Caleb and Joshua are like, what are you talking about? We should go like right now. What are we doing still standing here? But instead of listening to those two, they listened to the other 10 and they wouldn't go in. They wouldn't go in. And this is why it's called rebellion. What did God say? He said, I was grieved. They go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. They still don't believe me. They still don't know how, who I am and how I do things and why I do things for them. And he said in verse 11, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That promised land, that physical place, God referred to it as his rest. Verse 12 says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you, he's talking to us now, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceit, deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it's said today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, it, uh, was it uh, not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry? Who was he grieved with, with 40, for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Why could they not go into the promised land? Why couldn't they go into a land that flows with milk and honey? Why couldn't they go into this big, beautiful land? A land where they would not be burdened with building. And that's what God said to them. Their city's already built. You don't have to build it. There's wells already dug. You don't have to dig them. There's vineyards that are already planted. You don't have to do any of it. What do you have to do? Rest enjoy it. What kept them from going in? Unbelief. Unbelief. And that's why chapter four, verse one says just a little bit more. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. This gospel that was preached to these people, there is a land. It's a land of provision. It's a land where you rest. That gospel did nothing for them because they didn't believe it. They did not mix faith with it. And what's he writing to us? New Testament church. He's saying, hey, there's still a rest. There is still a rest out there for God's people. And you should, and he uses this word, and it's not a word the Bible uses so much, be afraid that you don't enter into that rest. What's going to keep you out of it? Unbelief. Unbelief. Not believing God is who he said he is. Not knowing him will keep you out of that rest. Not believing that he provides, not believing that he supplies, keeps you out of that rest and it keeps you toiling. It keeps you working. It keeps you performing. Why? Because you don't know who he is. They said there's a rest that's still available to the people of God. 
He said again in verse 3, We who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished. You hear that? The works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. He's inviting us to enter his rest. What rest is that? It's that day seven rest. He's calling us into that day. He's calling us on holiday with him. That day where the work has ceased, that day where the toil, where you work and work and work and it produces nothing, those days are over. He's inviting us into his rest. How do you get into it? Faith. Faith is the way into grace. Do you hear me? Faith is the way into that rest. There is no way into it apart from faith, apart from being confident in knowing who God is. He said in, what is this, verse 6? He said, since therefore it remains that some must enter in, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience or unbelief. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David today, after such a long time as it's been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That's us. There's a rest for us. For he who entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. There is a rest, church, that's available to us. There's a rest that God through Jesus is inviting us into. And it is more than taking a nap. It's more than a good night's sleep. If that's all anybody understands about rest, and they can't sleep, listen, you can pop all the pills. You can drink the bottle dry and put yourself in a semi-comatose state for the next 8, 10, 12 hours. But when you wake up, just because you slept does not mean you rested. Rest has got to start in the spirit. Why don't people, why doesn't this world rest? Why do, do we as a culture, why are we so rest deprived? Why are we so starving for rest? Number one is because people don't know how to do it. They don't understand what it is. And if they don't know what it is, they don't know how to do it. They think resting is just sleeping. And so they're just trying anything and everything they can to get some sleep. But rest has got to start in the spirit. That's why Jesus said, come to me. You don't get this spiritual rest apart from him. You get rest on the inside by coming to him. Believing that the work is finished. Believing that what he did is what is enough to make you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And whatever work that we do from here out, it's not toil. 
it produces. It's got grace all over it. The good works that he's called and created us to do, the obedience that we now live in and operate in, these are not works of the law to earn our righteousness. These are grace works. These are grace-infused works. These are works that, that, drain, that, that strengthen us instead of draining us. These are works that produce something, and it's not toil. I said it's not toil. But you don't get that apart from Jesus. How come people don't rest? Huh? Because it starts with coming to him. And the rest that he gives us in our spirit. If you keep going there in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, come learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. What he does in your spirit overflows into your soul. And if your soul is troubled, that's your mind, your will, your emotions. If that's troubled, if that's disquieted, if that's deprived and depleted and not restored, then physical rest is not going to do anything for you. I'll tell you this story and we can be done. Musicians, you guys go ahead and come on up. When I was working for mom and dad in the church, I wasn't youth pastoring or anything yet. I was working for them. And I was serving the, the worship leader and, and the guy who was kind of over, we probably wouldn't have called it this at the time, but now you might think the, the creative elements of the church, the, the, the worship in the sanctuary and children's and so on. I served under him for a long time, years. And man, this stuck with me. He came to work one day and I don't know how we got into this conversation, but this guy was a real health conscious guy, worked out, ate well, and he was just kind of aware of that stuff. And I remember him saying something that he had read in, I don't know, some men's health magazine. And it was an article that had to do with what it called sleep debt and how we as a culture were in debt when it came to our sleep. And in this article, they said, think about it like this. For every hour that you're awake, he said, it's like putting a brick on your shoulder for every hour you're awake. He said, but for every hour you sleep, it's like taking two bricks off. So if you're awake for 16, you've put 16 bricks on your shoulders. If you're asleep for eight, you've taken them all off and you start the day not in debt. But the problem was that we as a culture and the restlessness of our culture, people were awake not for 16, but for 18. 20 and sleeping at best six hours, maybe four or less. So what happens? They wake up with bricks on their shoulders. And man, it painted a picture for me, even as a young man, and it's never left me to this day. The only problem was when I would lay down at night, for whatever reason, my mind's racing, my mind's racing, my mind's racing. And I know you've done this before. You lay there and you look at that clock and you think, okay, I've been up 16, 17 hours, so I've got 17 bricks. If I fall asleep right now, I can take 16 off. I might wake up with one, but I got to go to sleep. Got to go to sleep. Got to go to sleep. Come on, go to sleep. And you stare, and for me, it was that little digital clock with the red numbers. And you watch as each minute ticks away, ticks away, and there's another hour gone and another hour gone. So it's not just the physical act of laying down that does anything. It's the quieting of the mind that comes from the stillness of the spirit that enables you to lay down 
in peace and sleep. This is part of the rest that Jesus has promised us. And it's a gift. This is the last thing I want to say about it and we'll be done. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden. The New Living says, those who carry heavy burdens, and I will give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. It's a gift. Rest is a gift. And sad to say, it's a gift that far too many believers are not receiving. But you know this church, because we talk about it and I pound it into you over and over, whatever gift is given by grace has to be received by How do we enter this rest? By faith. By faith. Faith itself is a rest. Well, I thought it was a fight. It is. It's the fight to remain at rest. And every one of you is look across this room. You're doing it so well right now. You're going, am I? Yeah. Look at you. Not one person that I'm aware of came in here today and found your seat. Not one of you took a look at that chair. Walked around it, studied it. Not one of you asked our lead usher, can I see the paperwork on this chair? Uh, when was this chair made? Where was this chair? Are these organic materials that this chair was made from? I, I, I need to see the paperwork. Can I see the uh, maximum capacity on this chair, please? Nobody did that. Nobody said, can you show me the studies on this chair? And, and before I sit down, before I, I, put all, I put all of who I am in this seat, I need to see the studies. I need you to prove to me this is going to hold me up. Now, one, is, can I see a hand in here? Did anybody ask for paperwork today? No. no. What'd you do? I said, you may be seated and you, it's faith, confidence, confidence that it was going to support, confidence that it would keep you up, confidence that it would sustain you without looking for any further evidence, any more proof. You know what the Bible says? You've been seated with Jesus in heavenly places. That's your place of rest. That's the place where you're not holding yourself up. It's grace. It's his strength. It's his favor on you and in you that's supporting you and keeping you up. What I started to say to you a minute ago was that in preparation for this, I mentioned it when, when Sarah and I were in the beginning days of our ministry. It was such a big deal to us. And I saw so much in the word that as I was getting ready to bring it to you, I saw like half a, do half a dozen different directions to go in. And as of like six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock this morning, I'm going, Lord, which way do we go? Which way do we go? Is it this scripture? Is it that scripture? What do you want me to say about this? And finally, the Lord spoke to me. He said, you're not really at rest in this, are you? You need to rest. Somebody said, I need to rest. I need some rest. And I think it's so funny that he asked me to come in here today and preach rest to you totally confident that he'd give us something to say. Totally confident. He, he knew what we needed and he'd give it to us. Amen. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Well, we're going to stay on this track as long as the Lord leads us. Stand up on your feet.
Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.